Hello there, and a very warm welcome to episode four of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. Uh, this is our second uh, full preview episode. Uh, I'm Neil Shailath, and I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Ben Griffiths. How are you, Ben? Doing well. I'm very excited to talk about a lot of the action we've had this week. It was a really exciting week of midweek fixtures. Yeah, we'll be doing that as well. As Ben says, we'll be recapping some midweek action uh, alongside the previews. And we've also got uh, Rafael Adelukba. How are you doing, Rafael? I'm good, Neil. Um, I hope you and Ben are well and um, excited to get into this episode. Yep, uh, lots to talk about. Uh, as Ben said, including some midweek fixtures, uh, including a Gulf Cup final, a bunch of cup matches, a couple of league fixtures too, including uh, in Belgium, uh, for which we've got a special guest uh, to talk about uh, what's going on at Anderlecht. Uh, and then after that, we'll be previewing the weekend's action. We'll be focusing uh, on the Eredivisie, where we've got a huge, huge game this weekend. And as usual, we'll be talking some transfers uh, right at the end. So, uh, without further ado, uh, let's get started with uh, the bit on Anderlecht. They are a side that would always, you'd expect them to compete right at the very top. But they're on the wrong end of the table and there's lots of stuff going wrong. Uh, so that's why we have Doc to tell us what's going on. Uh, so first of all, Doc, if you don't mind, could you just give us a little bit of a background uh, in a broader context? Like, what what are the major issues overall at Underleft uh, and where did they start? This is actually a culmination of years of issues. Uh, for last uh, quite a few years, uh, there have been issues. Uh, when a company joined, it was that time also they were not doing really well. And uh, it was kind of uh, a move that was seen as trying to shield the management against fan anger when uh, they brought company as manager. And if you remember, he was initially not able to manage the team from the dugout because he did not have the proper adequate qualifications and all. And uh, first uh, season and season and uh, more than a season, he looked uh, really not going anywhere. Underleg did not look a pretty good team. And the sad part for Anderlecht fans, I think, is just when it looked like he has developed a good team, a proper playing style, they had they were depending on two pacey wingers, they were having a lot of tricky players up front. And uh, they looked like they are really gelling well, doing well. And just when that was happening, he moved to Burnley. And uh, for me, um, Mazu is a good coach, but it was uh, not the good uh, kind of 
move that was needed i felt that uh, andelect more like wanted to get the new shiny thing from their neighbor because he just brought uh, usg to such from such from the depths of 1b to almost becoming champions and uh, they just wanted the new shiny thing because one when they when a club changes coach they really should think about if the philosophy of the new coach fits kind of the team that they have uh, i actually posted at the beginning of the beginning of the season that i did i don't think mazu will survive the season the and this has happened with mazu before also uh, when genk uh, own uh, genk was the champion few years back and then they lost their coach leko moved to uh, club bruce they got uh, mazu from uh, then he was at shalro and they had very different way of uh, they had very different no it was clement sorry it clement not leko clement went from uh, they moved they, they got uh, mazu to replace clement and then again the same thing clubs don't mazu is a different style of uh, coach he is quite defensive he likes his 352s and uh, he is more reactive than proactive and the way uh, under uh, the company burnley uh, uh, now burnley is playing that way and when underlect was playing it was very proactive possession based football and suddenly from that you move to a reactive coach like mazu you will have a problem and again the if you see in data i was checking a few days back also that uh, every parameter has gone down and the, if you see the xg versus xga it has it has completely turned uh, around xga is the moment uh, company left from then on this xgs has started slowly creeping up xg has started going down and it is now the gap is quite high where xga is much higher than xg which is definitely showing a wrong picture kind of where they are going i like their new coach he has a he definitely has a positive philosophy but he has come in the middle of a season with a team where he i think still needs a few places uh, to be reinforced so let's see yeah uh, of course uh, the the new coach you say is uh, Brian Reamer who has been brought in uh, from i believe uh, Brentford where he was uh, part of uh, Thomas Frank's coaching staff and uh, mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken this is his first uh, senior managerial role for a senior team so yeah as you say he's he's i think he's he's doing fairly all right in terms of uh, the way he's setting his team up but of course results are are not going his way as i said unless uh, have this one win in eight uh and now they're just five points above uh, the relegation zone above sulte who they lost to of course so i think i think the big question is doc uh, are underlect actually in a relegation battle and could could they find themselves going further down because if, if you look at the table if you look at the teams below them you have your kotrike uh, open maybe not so much but sulte ustende all at least from what i've seen are improving or at least playing better than the, their league position may suggest uh, so you know the teams below underlect uh, seem to be 
slightly improving at least. Of course, maybe Serang will probably not catch up. Uh, and, and those above them, your Mechlin, Shalova, Serkle, Leuven, I, I don't see them slipping too much further down. So, so could Anderlecht find themselves in a real relegation battle by the end of the season? Uh, I would be a bit surprised if they get into a proper relegation fight or they go into the third in the last three positions. They do have a pretty decent team. If you see their team, they are not a bad pl- team individual player-wise. Their problem is the team itself is not clicking as a team. The Fabio Silva is a very good player. They had Amuzu was having a really good form. But their problem is, I think, they are not clicking as a team and they really need someone to score their goals. Fabio Silva started excellently. He was on fire first few games. And then he... He had injury and he draw his form dropped off and uh, nobody has kind of picked up the slack. And that is where their biggest problem is coming. They are still, they are playing, at times they are quite decent front foot football, if you see. But the problem is someone needs to score those goals. And it's like when Amuzu was playing so well, there was not a, another one, there was like, at times, one player is shining. Not a not as a not as a team like a multiple players are doing really well at one time, and when you can see them as clicking as a team, that is the, their biggest problem, and they really need a striker. I was actually talking in my uh, group a uh, few days back that uh, they should break the bank and go for Frey because uh, he wants to leave Antwerp and he's one of the best strikers in the league, proven goal scorer. They should actually break the bank to go, but I don't think uh, Underlift can even uh, afford him. They also I don't think have they have a bank to break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. yeah, uh, yeah, as you say, like uh, on those finances, uh, uh, I think that that has been one of the biggest underlying issues because they have mountain deck uh, debts uh they've losses season on season i think j- 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 was it like a week and a half ago uh, that the club basically released a statement because of course their fans are really agitated and uh, they're calling for uh, changes in the boardroom and stuff and the club basically released a statement saying that uh, they don't have money so don't expect much i'm paraphrasing but that's that's effectively what i read from it uh, so yeah, but, but but they did sign, of course, uh, Anders Rehr, uh from Midtjylland, who we who we spoke about, I think, a week ago uh, for four million. I thought he, he's mm-hmm. a real bargain. Uh, yeah. So you know, hopefully he can solve that. Of course, I I just recently saw some news on Fabio Silva, uh, which says that he had some sort of an altercation with uh, Brian Reamer, so it, he might end up leaving uh, uh, as well. So. Uh, not sure how that will play out, uh, but I I have not seen that news. But if that news is true and they don't uh, replace him because Esposito is not scoring, and if they don't get anyone to score those goals and uh, he leaves, then yeah, then bottom three is quite possible for them. They are kind of he is kind of their only hope for scoring some goals. 
and if you see they lost quite a quite a few good players kulen they lost who was doing so well last season under uh, company comp- with he moved with company to burnley is doing really well then they zikzi was a big loss because he was playing so well there and then uh, sergio gomez i think i have not seen a better attacking left uh, left back in the league for a long time he he went to manchester city and uh, so they have lost quite a few good players uh, lokonga left and that these kind of places and they don't have really that good money to replace these players they do have quite a bit of uh, talent in their uh, their a team which is playing in their b team sorry which is playing in the lower league but uh, how good they will be immediately to manage this is a big question the, i would i would think and i was very surprised to see el haj leaving he is one of the most talented youngsters in the league yeah i actually wanted to speak to that uh, speak about that to you as well because uh, i mean uh, in this episode we'll be covering transfers a bit later but while you're here let's talk about the pro league transfers because yeah as you say like the, the, i this move really caught me by surprise because just for 2 million he's uh, moved to gank and yeah i mean I, i'd like to hear your your thoughts on him but as you alluded to there i, I thought he's one of the best talents in the league right now how, how well do you think he can progress at gank gank has a history of kind of nurturing talents well you can see how many young talents have done well in gank so i do see him doing well in the, well there and he is a proven talent i was when he kind of broke uh, one and a half years back i was really surprised how good he was uh, by half but half he just played i think half a season properly and uh, it was amazing to see such a young player i think he was 18 then and to see such a young player with such a mature head playing so well it was really surprising last year he kind of did not improve much but again i think this year things have not progressed for him properly at underlet and it is a shame that he had to leave because he is a kind of academy player who could have given them money later just like lokonga and others gave them money and which kind of helps belgian clubs a lot these big money transfers to top 5 leagues but they really lost a good talent i think yeah but i think as you alluded to before if if there's one positive uh, for underlech right now it's that their their youth academy will you'd expect continue to produce uh, players i'd like to hear about that a bit from you but I I remember watching a documentary on FIFA Plus I believe it was uh, called mm-hmm. Academies Underlecht and it it seems they are one of the best at least youth setups uh, in Belgium so if if maybe if if we think about the future and how they can pull themselves out of these roles because re- regardless of how the season ends and as you say they will they do seem to have too much quality to actually go down probably and they you know they might try challenging for the second playoff or at least probably finish mid table so but regardless of how it ends I, I, at present i don't see them going straight back up challenging for the title again because I, it seems they need a rebuild so so how important do you think their uh, youth academy and and then their uh, youth policy basically can be in that 
yeah that is a that is a kind of big strength some uh, for them they gank uh, even standard league all these clubs have a very good academy and uh, you uh, if you see they in the 1b which is now challenger pro league they have a striker called stasin who i ha- i am really have interested to follow i feel he will uh, he will be a very good player in a few seasons he's very young i think he's 19 18 or 19 and he looks a really good talent so they have they have duranville who is i think they brought him to to the uh, primary team also so they do have quite a few very very young players i think duranville is 16 or 17 so there they have talents but the problem is i don't think their fans will be kind of ready to accept uh, this situation for long uh, anderlecht uh, has one of the biggest history almost in the belgium and their fans expect them to do well every season and uh, right now the situation is they are looking at us looking at not even reaching europe and possibly trying to survive by skin of their teeth if uh, they can score some goals yeah and yeah as you said we spoke about the fans before of course they've had stadium bans uh, because of uh, the, the, the well, were effectively were protests which interrupted matches so there's real un- unhappiness there real tensions between the fan uh and, and the board and yeah i think as you said the main thing is that the fans can't seem to accept the fact that w- what is the most successful club in belgium isn't going to be competing for the titles in the near future at least so yeah. it has they have been kind of uh, even if you look at uh, union union literally looks like now the biggest club in uh, the capital in brussels now even anderlecht yeah. is no longer the biggest club union is literally the biggest club and it is a, it has been a meteoric rise for union for in last two three seasons and uh, because they have the backing of uh, brighton they are uh, really uh, they are very data driven they are very modern club and they really are able to get good talents from worldwide uh, scouting and uh, i saw mitoma play in belgium and uh, you uh, i all, i'm thinking even boniface and adingra will go to big leagues very soon vanzair is i have been talking a lot about vanzair for a lot of seasons when he was not even in jpl but he needs these players they have players who can immediately go to top 5 leagues literally and if you look at anderlecht amuzu Rafael cannot anymore because he is just is almost in the verge of retiring i think he is 36 or 37 something like that who else who else do you think varskeren has totally lost his way he was one of the biggest talents he was actually more talked about even more than doku at some point but then injuries not having good relation with manager not playing full time has kind of moved him back amuzu was actually ahead of doku in pecking order and then you can see where they are now so 
there are players who have kind of not kicked on also and we they have few decent players i, I think like they have murillo who is good they have got an uh, diwara who is the best like, as okay. well uh, so and i don't know what happened to benito raman this season i think the problem with manager and all because he was doing not like great he's not a very great striker but he was doing okay as a support striker for uh, for company and now he is nowhere to be seen literally yeah i think you know if they don't uh, if silva does leave uh, and they, they don't get anyone else except uh, dreer then uh, he he uh, raman might be a really important player because he he did score a brace last night uh, this week of course so but he's that, that's just his he had just one goal in the whole season before that uh, and yeah he said goals are a huge problem because there's silva on seven goals for anderlecht in the league and then there's rafael on uh, rafael on four amuzu raman on three and then there's people with two goals and one goal so it, it, that that is probably their biggest issue but but you spoke about unio so i think i think that's a great segue for us to quickly also talk about uh, the rest of the pro league uh, Gang, of course, are having an incredible season. Uh, they're racing away at the top of the table. Uh, but as uh, as you all know, uh, the Belgian Pro League format is such that uh, at the end of the season, uh, the top four qualify for the championship playoff, and then their points are halved. So you know, building up a big lead right now doesn't necessarily mean you can run away with the title. Behind them, we've got Union, who, as Doc said, are doing really, really well, and they look set to. continue succeeding in the near future of course they were only promoted last season put up a real title charge just narrowly missed out in the playoffs uh, to uh, club brugge uh, and once again it looks like they are challenging for the title this season in third we've got uh, royal antwerp who started the season very well have sort of fallen off since but they're still there and thereabouts and then uh, i also want to talk about uh, club brugge because they're uh, down in fourth Uh, winless in six after their one-one draw at Esteveve last night. Uh, Scott Parker is now three games in charge. Uh, one loss to Genk, of course, which was his debut, which we spoke about, and then two draws since then. I think uh, I saw a tweet from uh, Will Downing, which said that he's he's got he's the first manager since 1989 to fail to win uh, his first three matches uh, at Club Brugge. So they're not having a great season once again. Uh, last season as well, it didn't start well. but then they managed to come back when alfred schroeder took over so h- how do you see this season going for them doc can they come back again i do believe that they will they have they also didn't do very well last season but they have an amazing team if you see player by player they have some of the best players in the league and uh, there is just too much quality and i still believe what they will do is what i have also written previously they will just shit house their way into top 4 and then just like last year they will make uh, sure that they at least win or get maybe even runner up or win also because once that uh, top 4 with half their points play each other it becomes a very different ball game I don't know how long Jutgla will be injured because I think as far as I saw that he is injured. But uh, they have Yaramchuk to 
as a cover but he lost he missed so many good chances la- last match i was quite surprised but uh, yeah let's see they have scovolson they have noah lang some of the best players in the league are there so they are just not clicking with change of manager and everything that is sometimes expected but i do feel their individual quality will definitely prevent they will get top four after that they do have the again they do have quality to make smaller team other teams pay it's then anybody's ball game right uh, thank you very much for your time doc this was a really really great chat really enjoyed it before you go uh, let, let's just have a quick prediction for me for the rest of the season you said uh, club will probably qualify for the top 4 uh, do, do you think that the top 3 will remain or do you see anyone uh, from below them coming up i do believe the top 4 will not change much uh, if club brews really does badly and still the new manager cannot man parker gets bad results then maybe there is a chance for gent to move up there but top 3 i don't think anybody will move them antop has a very good team and they have two strikers who are in really good form both jensen and freyer whoever plays they will score yeah well let's see how the season goes it's set to be really interesting mm-hmm. in the pro league both ends of the table the lower end is this season even more interesting because this is the first time three teams will be relegated so what we used to say in uh, premier league what we used to hear it's a squeaky bum time teams have already changed coach almost all of them except i think zulte has changed coach kortrek uh, i would be really changed? happy if they survive. i thought i thought huh? zulte were the ones who did not change managers cuz yeah they did not they, except yeah. them everyone has everyone in the bottom half has changed i think Yeah, I am. I will be really happy if Kortrek survives. I worked with them for some time, so I will be really happy if they survive. Uh, Serang, I don't think will survive. Zulte also, I don't think will survive. The third position is now. I was worried that Kortrek will be the third one, but looks like Austin and Newpen uh, are really. going the negative way specifically if you see austin they have not gotten a new manager bounce and they are really losing matches yeah uh, it's 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 said to be really interesting relegation battle too uh, so yeah thank you very much for your time doc really really enjoyed thank this you. chat uh, really, really great to have you on uh, and yep we've got lots more coming up uh, we've will be previewing uh the weekend fixtures and also looking back at some of uh the midweek fixtures uh so let's do that after this has changed coach kortrek i will be Zulte really changed? happy if they survive. i thought i thought huh? zulte were the ones who did not change managers cuz yeah they did not they, except yeah. them everyone has everyone changed. in the bottom half has changed i think uh, yeah i am i will be really happy if kortrek survives i worked with them for some time so i will be really happy if they survive Uh, Serang, I don't think will survive. Zulte also, I don't think will survive. The third position is now. I was worried that Kortrek will be the third one, but looks like Austin and Newpen uh, are really 
going the negative way. Specifically, if you see Austin, they have not gotten a new manager bounce and they are really losing matches. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's said to be a really interesting relegation battle too. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time, Doc. Really, really enjoyed thank this you. chat. Uh, really, really great to have you on. Uh, and, yeah, we've got lots more coming up. Uh, we've, we'll be previewing uh, the weekend's fixtures and also looking back at some of uh, the midweek fixtures. Uh, so, let's do that after this. All right. Uh, and we've besides the Belgian Pro League, there were lots of other fixtures uh, in midweek too. Uh, perhaps the biggest uh, or the most consequential one uh, was the Gulf Cup final on Thursday night. Uh, it featured uh, the hosts, Iraq, uh, facing Oman. And Ben was watching that game. So tell us, Ben, wh- what happened there? A uh, better question was what didn't happen. There was a ton of excitement. Um, so we had, it went into extra time. So Iraq won 3-2. So they scored the 24th minute uh, and it went, the, the crowd went wild. I mean, it was a completely packed stadium. Um, this is the first major sporting event I think they posted in 40-something years, or at least first major uh, football event they posted in 40-something years. And also, I think, uh, the first competitive international fixture since 2001. So Correct. Huge, huge for it. Yep. FIFA, I believe, lifted their ban before they hosted this tournament. So it was, uh, honestly, it was a huge, huge moment for, for the whole country, even just to score this opening goal. So they scored that. And then a little bit after halftime, Oman was awarded a penalty and they missed that. So again, crowd went wild. Uh, and then the game starts to get a little more open. Uh, Oman was really trying to, to win, but there were some times where the, they just weren't able to make stuff happen. Iraq really looked like they were going to lock this down uh, to be able to send it 1-0, win the Gulf Cup. I think this was their fourth one. Um, but we had some very late drama in regular time. And in the 10th minute of stoppage time, we had a penalty uh, awarded for Oman, and they scored this. In one of the the very last kicks, I think it was pretty much just like kickoff and like one kick down the field for Iraq. So they sent it into extra time. And then Iraq scored in the 116th minute, which, you know, that has to be the winner, right? At that point, it's 2-1. That was a penalty. So there were three total penalties in the game, both defense. And this has been something for the whole Gulf Cup. There were some defensive uh, blunders on, on for pretty much all teams. Uh, but this is the third penalty uh, that was taken this match. So you think it's probably done 119th minute. And then Oman equalizes, which was wild because at that point, you're like, okay, well, now we're going to penalties. Uh, we have a little bit more action in one of the very, very, very last kicks of the entire tournament was the winner for Iraq in the second minute. And so was essentially the 122nd minute of the game. It was mental scenes. Um, pretty much when, when any team scored, the 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 fans were wild that the, the players were taking their shirts off. They were celebrating like they just won something because it was either what is probably a winner or the equalizer just send it into that next period, either into extra time or into penalties. Um, it was frantic is the perfect name again, where that's really going to be a, a huge theme of this podcast is we're going to have some frantic matches that we're talking about. And, and this was certainly one of them. Um, if, if you can watch replays, I know that there was a lot of global coverage. If you didn't watch this match, I, I strongly advise you to watch it. Uh, start to finish, there was so much energy on the field. Um, really good football as well. Just from a fan's perspective or a fanalist perspective, you will find something. This whole tournament is really caps off what was a very energetic and exciting uh, a couple weeks here. But And we do have to talk about this game potentially shouldn't have even been played because there were really horrible scenes right outside the stadium. Uh, 
in Basra before the match, there were there was a stampede and four people lost their life, at least four people lost their lives, dozens more injured, a couple in critical conditions. So I think it's still developing. Uh, that's the latest news that I have now, but um, really not good scenes. A lot of people, it sounds like without tickets, were trying to get in the stadium and, and actually did jump the gates and they were flooding into where the Oman fans were supposed to sit. And so we had outside the stadium a lot of um, a lot of people that were pushing and pushing, and I think that's what caused it. Um, so our thoughts on the podcast go out to to everybody affected their their loved ones. Um, but the I think it was the mayor of the city said that they can move the the game that they should move the game because it was I think three hours before kickoff, uh, and then they came out a little bit later saying they couldn't. It was very question. I, I'm not sure exactly what what questions are being asked and and, and answered uh internally but we were getting a lot of mixed information a couple hours before kickoff of it looked like it was going to be moved and it looked like it wasn't uh it ended up kicking off but but yeah really really horrible scenes outside for a match that that probably shouldn't have happened played in the first place yeah as you say uh, thoughts go out uh, to all those affected and and their loved ones uh and well we we hope to never uh see such such scenes uh for any uh event again uh, but yeah, uh, let's let's move on. We've got quite a few other uh, midweek fixtures to uh, discuss as well. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to mention a couple of cup ties uh, in Italy. As you know, uh, not a fan of the Coppa Italia format, but it does give me some upsets uh, to discuss from time to time. And we certainly had one this week uh, because the Serie A leaders, Napoli, were taking on Cremonese, who are winless in the league. Of course, they're only promoted uh, for this season. So this is their first season back in the top flight. Uh, Cremonese uh, sacked uh, Massimiliano Alvini uh, before this game. So this was uh, Davide Ballardini's uh, first match in, ch- match in charge of the club. Um, of course, you'd expect a routine win for Napoli, even though they heavily rotated their squad. They did concede first, Napoli, but then... Uh, they quickly scored twice before halftime, so they had a 2-1 lead. And it, it looked it looked pretty smooth. Uh, it looked like they would uh, easily go on to progress to the quarterfinals. But then, later on in the 87th minute, uh, Felix Afanagian, who you might have heard of uh, because he previously played for Roma under uh, Jose Mourinho. Uh, he's now at Cremonese and he scored an equalizer 87 minutes in uh, to take the game to extra time. Uh, really quickly in extra time, like about 10 minutes in, Cremonese had a player sent off, so they were down to 10. Uh, but they managed to hold on, uh, take the game to penalties. And there, uh, they, they, they did very well. Uh, all five of their takers scored. Uh, for Napoli, everyone scored except uh, Stanislav Lobotka. And uh, that was the difference between the two teams, that missed penalty. So Cremonese threw to uh, the uh, quarterfinals of uh, the Coppa Italia for the first time, I believe, uh, in this century. Uh, and of course, they're still winners in the league, and it's not looking too likely that they'll survive. But a good Capran uh, might be uh, in the offing for them. But Napoli, on the other hand, uh, will be quite disappointed with this result because they they would certainly like to complete a double, uh, which would be uh, quite historic. But of course, they're still well on course uh, for the league title, which will also be a huge thing as it'll be their first in over uh, 30 years. So, uh, one to watch again. Uh, loads more games in Serie A this weekend too. Uh, but I also want to mention uh, quickly the restart of the Croatian top flight. Uh, there was this one midweek fixture. I believe it was due to some rescheduling. Uh, so, it was uh, Gorica against uh, Varazdin. 
uh, Gorica are bottom of the table. Uh, and they are, and of course, uh, the Croatian league only has 10 teams in the top flight. So just one gets relegated. So uh, being lost is the only place you really don't want to be. Uh, and they, uh, they had a penalty awarded to them in the very last minute of the game after not the most entertaining games. Uh, but then that effort was saved. So they, they missed a huge, huge chance to win. And they've only won once all season. And that was way back in August. So they had a huge chance uh, to put up some crucial points on the board, uh, but they failed to do, do that. And they're still five points behind uh, the place, uh, the side in ninth. Uh, and well, of course, in the second half of the season, they'll be looking to recover. Uh, and that properly uh, will get underway this weekend as the league returns from the winter break. We've also got a couple of other uh, league fixtures uh, in England too. A uh, big one was uh, Crystal Palace and Manchester United. Uh, Rafael was watching that. Uh, it was quite quite a, quite an exciting game. What did you see, Rafael? Um, yeah, you you thought it was um exciting. Um, I thought it was quite cagey throughout. To be honest, um, I thought United started off well with a lot of control of the ball in the opening half an hour. As Palace up in like kind of a low to mid block as they do on the Vieira. Um, I thought Palace were quite limited in their attacking um opportunities when they did get the ball. Um, with Zaha and Elise drifting quite inside, and it was quite bonded up in that middle area with Edward and um Mateta. Um, but they did trouble the hair with an effort, but that was uh, just tipped over the bar. Um, but the deadlock, the deadlock was broken from nice team goal from United and finished off with a composed finish from Bruno. I actually tweeted out that goal was symbolic of Bruno's growth as a as a player, but also as a leader on the Ten Hag. He has the captain's armband now for the majority of the games with Maguire being on the bench for a lot of the games now. And he's embraced that role. And you can see it um, when he did score that goal. He almost felt like that that was that was his goal. That he felt like he had to score that goal to get United moving in that game. Um, but obviously, Michael Elise's equalising free kick was... Um, was the talk of the post game. It was glorious, to be honest. And um, the majority of football fans who know Elise know he's capable of the spectacular and he proved it again. Um, but yeah, um, just to quickly wrap up, this draw leaves United third place, um, three points of City after their win yesterday, um, which you will obviously touch on. And yeah, it was just, I think the draw just showed that United is still on a journey with Ten Hag. It's not a finished product. Any talks of a title was quickly brushed away after that draw. And I think, yeah, they will obviously focus on just retaining their position as probably the third best team in the country. Yeah. Uh, as you said, we'll also quickly mention uh, City against Tottenham, uh, just because Ben didn't want me to mention it. So uh, I'll just say that the final score was 4-2 after Tottenham were up 2-0 uh, uh, at halftime. Uh, but but I, I do want to shout out to uh, Riyad Mahrez for... Uh, uh, two great goals and, and and an assist and also an involvement in the first goal. He's really kicking on now and I, I've always loved him as a player. Uh, so it's, it's great to see him get some plaudits. Uh, but speaking of shout-outs, let me just uh, quickly uh, quickly go over a few other things. We've got a few other matches uh, and results that I just want to mention really, really briefly. Uh, on Monday, we mentioned uh, the Toto Cup, which is the secondary cup competition in Israel, it's it's basically their equivalent of the League Cup in the sense that 
you've only got teams from the top two tiers. Uh, and uh, it was uh, Maccabi uh, Netanya who won this uh, the cup on penalties uh, to win their first major trophy in 40 years. So a pretty big result for them. Uh, of course, they were up against uh, Hapoel Beersheva uh, and they managed to win on penalties. Uh, elsewhere, um, over uh, in Egypt, they had the cup semifinals, as I mentioned, uh, and Zamalek have been knocked out. So the final will have Al-Ali versus Pyramids FC. Uh, and we look forward to that. Uh, as and when the the date of the final comes closer. Over in Spain, uh, we had uh, the Copa del Rey holders, uh, Real Betis, knocked out on penalties uh, against Osasuna in in another great, great match with lots of late drama as well. Uh, And also I'd like to mention, I guess, uh, Real Madrid uh, coming back from 2-0 down against Villarreal last night uh, to uh, progress to uh, the quarterfinals there. Uh, elsewhere, over over in South America, we've got some uh, exciting news. Uh, Luis Suarez uh, made his debut for his new club, Gremio, uh, in, of course, the, uh, the regional uh, Brazilian championships, and he scored a hat-trick. Uh, so a, a great start to life for him there, uh, and we will be keeping an eye on how he and, indeed, Gremio as well, who are, who are back in the top flight. Uh, they won promotion at the end of last season. So uh, when, when the National League kicks off. We'll be keeping a close eye on them as well. Uh, And also, the South American uh, Youth Football Championship uh, kicked off just last night, I believe. And and it's full of some incredibly exciting talents. Uh, I think uh, we've got on the site a a preview of the tournament as well. uh, And and we'll probably have some more content on that too. So that's certainly something for uh, everyone to focus, uh, to watch, because as I said, some some incredible talents there from uh, the continent. Who indeed some who are already being linked uh, with moves to uh, major European clubs. So uh, a great tournament to keep an eye on there. All right, but uh, let's uh, let's move on now to focusing on uh, the upcoming action this weekend. Uh, as I said, we will be previewing a lot of the games, uh, and our focus uh, will be on the Eredivisie in the Netherlands, where we have quite a title race uh, on our hands. Uh, as we enter the second half of the season. Uh, So what we've got is Feyenoord leading the way on 37 points after 16 games played, uh, which is the same for everyone in the league. Uh, Behind them, we've got AZ, four points behind them. Uh, Then we've got defending champions Ajax down in third, who we've uh, covered in the last couple of episodes. Uh, PSV are also level on points with Ajax. And then there's uh, FC Twente, who are fifth, uh, but just one point off Ajax. So... Basically, we've, the top five are separated uh, by six points. And between second and fifth, there's just two points. So we've got a really, really close title race uh, in the offing and a huge, huge game uh, this weekend. So what we decided was we'll quickly, really quickly uh, tell you about all the clubs involved, uh, how their season's been, and uh, what, basically uh, what to watch out uh, in those sides. And maybe at the end, we'll uh, predict how this uh, title race might go. So uh, let's get into that. Uh, first, uh, we've got Alex, who, who isn't here with us to take out the pod, but he did send over a bit about Feyenoord, who he's been following all season. So l- let's hear from Alex first. Hey, guys. Yes, Feyenoord remain top of the Eredivisie, four points clear of Alzheimer's Alkmaar. Um, we spoke about them last time I was on the podcast, but not really in too much detail. Let's expand on that, you say. Uh, now... Unlike Ajax or PSV in the past, Feyenoord have built their success on their defence. In fact, they've conceded just 14 goals in the league in 16 games. 
Although, fun facts, that's not even the best record in the league. It's second best. FC Twente have conceded just nine. I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, at final, goalkeeper Justin Barlow, he's been really good this season. He's 24 years old and he's saved 1.9 goals more than expected by FopMob's XG, XG on target data. Uh, when I've watched final as well, the player who stood out to me the most, we mentioned him last time, is Quentin Timber, the twin brother of Yuri and Timber of Ajax. He's a good dribbler and an aggressive presser. At 21, he's probably going to be one to watch in the years to come. But in my opinion, the, the player most likely to get a move in future though, even more than Orkan Kokju in midfield, is Sebastian Zemanski. I might have a little bit of a bias to him. He's a 23-year-old Polish midfielder. He moved from Dinamo Moscow last season, uh, playing alongside that Chelsea-wanted player, Arsene Zakarian. Um, Zemanski this season, he's got nine goals and assists in the league, and he ranks as a really good final third operator. He's been a creative threat this season and a helpful source of goals. Uh, although, of course, none of this would be working without Arnon Zlot, the um, 44-year-old Dutch coach. He led final to the uh, UEFA Conference League final last season. Uh, and the last man to win the title with final was Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, who obviously led Rangers to the Europa League final last season. And on current track, perhaps Slot could even surpass what Van Bronckhorst has done in his career so far, if he takes final to the title. Right, uh, and... Uh, Feyenoord, of course, as uh, are the league leaders, as I said, uh, but the defending champions uh, are Ajax, who uh, are at serious risk of losing uh, what is now a four-season streak of uh, defending the Eredivisie titles. Uh, ben has been following them. He's been keeping a close eye. So tell us about Ajax, Ben. Yeah, so like you said, they're, they're currently at serious risk of not winning this title, um, which you wouldn't think at this point in the season after about 16 matches uh, would have been unheard of if you looked at the the table after about six matches. So in the first six matches that Ajax played this season, uh, they only conceded three goals while pretty much scoring an average of like four goals a game over the first six games uh, of the season. It was really crazy. And you were like, okay, there's no way that, that anything happens. This is obviously the first season in a while without Eric Ten Hag. Um, and so they did have, have a managerial change, but they were scintillating form. That has since come down a little bit the that next the second third of the season so far uh they had three wins uh drawn a loss they they were doing all right uh definitely room for improvement but then it just everything kind of grammed to a halt and so they lost uh one match against PSB and then they have had four straight draws in a row which I think for IX I'm not sure on the numbers but it's been a long time since I've seen four straight draws in a row in the league for Ajax. It really is something, uh, uh, 2-2 Vitesse, 3-3 MN, 1-1 NEC Nijmegen, and then nil-nil against Fenta uh, was the last game. So everything has seemed to stop clicking is what, when I'm watching them. It really just seems that it's not necessarily that their their tactics, uh, of, uh, like this technical game that they play. Obviously, we all know Ajax, so I don't need to go too far into that, but it's not like their tactics have drastically changed from the beginning of the season to, to this form right now. It just seems like everything has kind of stopped clicking. And because of that, they're finding it harder and harder to make things happen, to get into the final third, to get in the penalty box. And then if they get there, they seem to be a little bit more wasteful. So quickly, I just have a little couple of data points as a, a big data person. I just wanted to point out that kind of on my thoughts, why I, even if they manage to win this game versus Feyenoord, I'm not sure if there's enough about them at this moment without major changes. Uh, to how they're performing for them to, to come back by was it five points it really is uh they're a long way off at this moment especially based on their their the on pitch performance so biggest thing they have a, a currently decreasing entries into the penalty box they were at about 40 
for the first like half of the season that they played and now they're about 30 and they're going down that's the key they're going down decreases decreasing passes into the final third they were about 75 now they're about 60 and going down uh decreasing defensive dual win rate which is important for winning the ball back they were about 70 now they're about 60 percent and going down so everything is really decreasing um decreased xg per match also in part due to not getting to the box as often not getting the final third as often so they're not having as many shots i think their xg per shot is about the same but you're not getting into those dangerous areas so you're not really able to make those shots happen you're not able to score as many goals as they did uh, uh six one against Ron again at the beginning of the season four nil Cam camber five nil heron vein they just aren't having those results anymore um they've kept about the same possession each game that's something i do want to note because possession is a big determinant of what can you do with the ball but they've been about 60 percent on average through the whole season uh, i know this this past game against venta they were about 40 percent so there is that mark but all these other games in this spell have been that classic ix 60 ish percent um everything just really seems to not be working they're losing the ball more often um in buildup or at the start of attacks that's a big thing for me is that as opposed to losing the ball when they're in the final third and trying to get into the box either by running or by crossing uh using dangerous passes right they're losing it more just giving the ball away either right at the end of build up or right at the beginning of attack before they can really get into their their swing of things and so i think that really there's some major changes that they have to do on a performance level i think their tactics are still for the air to busy still very strong um but I'm, I'm not sure if they can i know that uh so daily blint has just moved to to Bayern Munich and he is not really just a club legend but he's like a second generation club legend right because his dad is a club legend so he is as one with Ajax as you can get and he was apparently uh we were reading on Twitter I think it's uh the the, the football ad or someone on Twitter AFC Ajax is is the name uh was putting out a thread about the almost the the poor treatment that David Blunt had that led him to even want to move away from Ajax it's not that he was like well I hate that I have to leave but I'm going it sounds like he wanted to move away at the end which is crazy for someone that walked out onto the pitch with his dad when his dad retired from Ajax right and he wanted to do the same he said in, in an interview that's what he wanted with his son to walk out and retire at Ajax and he ended up wanting to leave because of the mistreatment I think um that coming from the the, the manager to Daily Blint and, and potentially to some of the other players that it's more of personal feelings getting into the way if you're trying to work with the players on hey why are we not clicking right now why are our tactics not working out and he said that with Eric Ten Hag that it was uh heated debates that they it was no personal feelings and, and you would be able to say your piece as a player here's what I think and whether or not it's taken that's fine you're still gonna be picked next match but that's not the case currently so he dropped to to fourth choice left back so he took that as a, very personally and it's not like he's a bad player of course um and he he took a lot of stuff very personally which I think uh based on his interview maybe he had good reason to do it and he ended up wanting to leave so I'm not sure if outside of of on the pitch performance not clicking if there's potentially some sort of uh, uh stuff for them to iron out on the managerial side maybe a man management side that that might also be one cause of why the players aren't performing because it it's just not clicking right now and I think that's going to be difficult for them to overcome uh if they can that's great but I'm not sure based on what I've seen recent in very recent games uh, I'm not sure if they can change it over so much to to get past this gap to first yeah uh, and as you alluded to they've got 
a huge, huge game this weekend. It's Ajax versus Feyenoord. Uh, they call it the uh, Klassiker in the Netherlands. And I think uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. So, yep, five-point gap. Uh, as you said, Ajax, four draws in a row and a loss before that. So, winless in five games. Uh, whereas Feyenoord have, I believe, uh, just one draw and four wins in the last five games. So, as as the on two opposing ends of the form spectrum, uh, if you will. And yeah, Ajax will be really keen to close that gap down if they can. But, uh, well, it's it's definitely going to be perhaps one of the most important games, if not the most important game in the title race uh, this season. But of course, there's, there's more than just these two teams involved. As I said, AZ are second, and they'll be obviously very closely watching this match to see how, how it goes uh, and if at least one of their rivals will drop points. Uh, so uh, Rafael's been keeping an eye on them. Uh, what, what, do, what do you have on them, Rafael? Yeah, as you said, you know, this season has been phenomenal. Um, it's actually shades of the 1920 campaign that was unfortunately cut short um, due to the pandemic where they were in the title charge. Um, in fact, they were leading that time against a, a quite good Ajax side on the Everton half. Um, as always, as at outperforming uh, their expectations, they're not considered one of the in one of the big three in in, in the Netherlands with Feyenoord, Ajax, and PSV. Um, but they're always consistently competing with those bigger clubs. I think a lot of that is down to their youth setup. Of course, they've produced some really talented um, Dutch talents in recent years with the likes of Calvin Stengs and Timmy Koopmans coming out of the academy. But just like in 1819, midfield of immense quality is breaking through and catching the league by storm. As it was in 1819, for Timmy Koopmans, it is for TJ Ridenis in 22-23. However, this player has been involved in as many open play there's many open play sequences leading to a shot, then he's 105. Uh, he's a lovely ball carrier with a nice passing range. Plays in a pivot with uh, Classy. He used to play for Southampton, actually. And the comparisons to Kumai's are evident. You can see it with the, the technical quality, the kind of grace, um, the, the physical profile. But he doesn't have the um, the productivity that the Latin did. Um, Ryan has been crucial to this uh as a re- revolution, and if they're to put in a title charge and potentially win the title, which is in the expectation, the expectation is to obviously finish in the top three, uh, he'll be crucial to that. Yep, uh, definitely. He's been an absolute joy to watch, uh, Tiani Reinders. Uh, and speaking of uh, key players for uh, one of these title contestants, uh, we've got Next up, PSV, who of course lost uh, their star man in the summer. Of course, Cody Hakpo moving to Liverpool. So it'll be, I'm really, really interested to see how they go, uh, how they fare uh, in the second half of the season. Uh, they're of course level on points with Ajax, and this is uh, they're being managed by Ruud van Nistelrooy, who's, who's in his first uh, season as a senior a manager of a senior squad. Um, it, I, he's, he's done fairly well, I'd say, uh, in the first half of, of the season. Pesway, uh, of course, in attack, they, they, of course, have loads of individual quality, n- not least to Hakpo, but also uh, the likes of uh, Noni Madueke, who's also in the news uh, as he's being linked with Chelsea. Of course, he was out injured for a good while. Uh, but they've, they've also got uh, a really exciting youngster called uh, Xavi Simons, who they signed from uh, PSG in the summer. And 
I'd say it's it's up to Simons now to step up because Hakpo's gone. Uh, you might think that Madweke would be the man to t- take up that star attacker sort of role, but he's gone. He's he's looks set to go as well. So then we've got uh, Simons, who, who's been phenomenal, I'd say, in the first half of the season. Uh, nine goals and three assists in the league already after just sixteen games. He's, he's mostly they play a four to three one, where he he's mostly played uh, as the number ten, but start up top as well sometimes, uh, and and yeah of course also start on the right uh, in Marueke's absence, uh, and yeah he's he's just he's just an excellent player technically brilliant uh, you know great in in terms of his spatial awareness and understanding so he he can pop up in in very dangerous areas and uh, well in terms of end product I think his his stats say it all. A uh, great finisher, and he he can he can pick a good pass too. So uh, he probably will be the key player for Pesway uh, in the second half of the season. But it'll also be interesting to see how uh, Van Nistelrooy's uh, tactics adapt because uh, in, in the first half of the season, I've seen uh, many Pesway uh, regular the regular watchers and experts say that uh, his, his tactics sometimes seemed uh, a little too rigid, perhaps uh, especially in terms of his in possession stuff. Uh, maybe didn't allow all the players to uh, excel as much as uh, they would have liked. So, quite interested to see uh, whether Van Nistelrooy evolves in any way in the second half of the season, especially after losing a couple of these key players. Uh, but yeah, they are very much uh, in the title race as well, are PSV, and they're looking for their uh, first Eredivisie title since 2017-18. Uh, so uh, let's see if they can pull that off. But they they do have a five point gap uh, to overturn. And and finally, I just like to uh, mention a quick word on FC Twente, who I, I wouldn't really say are in the title race. I mean, they're certainly the fifth favorite of these five. But well, they are quite close to them in in terms of points, and that is a remarkable achievement uh, for Twente, who were down in the second tier as recently as uh, twenty eighteen nineteen. Uh, yeah, they, they have uh, one Eredivisie title to their name, uh, which was uh, in 2009-10, but obviously they've slumped off since. And even after coming up first couple of seasons, they, they were, you know, mid a mid-table side and even had like a relegation battle after, uh, were in the relegation battle rather in the 1920 season, which was, of course, uh, cancelled due to COVID. But but uh, last, uh, they, they, were t- uh, they had a new manager uh, come in, uh, Ron Jans, at the start of last season, and he's he's absolutely turned turned their fortunes around in in every sense of the word because they they finished an incredibly uh, impressive uh, fourth uh in in his first full season in charge and this season as well they're competing right at the very top uh, with all the big boys and for for a team uh, for a club of their stature of their uh, finance of the financial capability that they have which of course uh, severely lower than than those other sides. It's it's a remarkable achievement, and uh, th- they're doing it while playing some really exciting football too. Uh, of course, they couldn't score against Ajax, even though they were uh, uh, they were uh, they had a player advantage for most of the match. But uh, apart from that, they uh, they have some uh, really exciting uh, talents uh, in the squad. Th- their defense, uh, I think, Alex alluded to it. Is 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 the key to their success because they've conceded just nine goals in sixteen games, and that is by far the best tally in the league. And in possession too, they're they're a great side to watch. So certainly they are uh, a team to follow. As I said, I doubt they'll be able to keep up uh, with the big four, but they'll certainly be challenging for a European spot, which is 
quite equally impressive i'd say as uh, is uh, as are challenging for a title perhaps for example so that i think that's about it for uh, what we've got on uh, the eredivisie huge match this weekend as i said uh, the classicer be sure to watch that that's on sunday uh, but we've also got a couple of other stuff i'd like to mention we've got the romanian superliga restarting uh, from tonight and as a huge huge game uh, on monday actually uh, when the top two face off in first uh, we've got uh, farul constanza whose whose story is absolutely incredible they they're one of the the oldest clubs in romania but then they went bankrupt as recently as uh, 2016 uh, had to basically start over uh, but then they were taken over there are a couple of takeovers and now they are both owned and managed by a certain uh, george haji who you might have heard of because he was a decent player in his day as well uh, and he he is leading them uh, as, as i said both as an owner and manager to what would be the the first title for the club in the farul name now as i said the story is really complicated and i did a piece on them which i'll link in the thread but basically it would be absolutely incredible if they managed uh, to pull this off of course they're being chased by uh, cluj who won the last five titles i believe it is yeah they've won the last five titles in romania so one point separating those two sides uh, they'll be facing off on monday in probably the biggest game of monday in my opinion and finally uh, we've also got the bundesliga restarting uh, huge match tonight between uh, Bayern Munich uh, and RB Leipzig uh, of course Bayern are first as ever uh, Leipzig uh, didn't start the season too well they hired Marco Rose after sacking Domenico Tedesco and have recovered really really well they're down in third but just 6 points off Bayern of course if they win the gap uh, closes down to 3 and well <laughs> we, we you know we always say this having a let's not let's not get our hopes too high in terms of having a title race in germany uh, but at least for bayern have not run away with it quite yet uh, but so let's see how that goes uh, and yeah i think that's about it for the matches for the weekend uh, of course we've got transfers to talk about still uh, so let's start doing that okay transfers uh, first up let's get one from the bundesliga because uh, It, it, it's in, it's uh, related to the match uh, between Bayern and Leipzig it's of course uh, Jan Sommer moving from Borussia Mönchengladbach to Bayern Munich uh, of course most of us will have heard of uh, Manuel Neuer's skiing accident which ru- has ruled him out for the rest of the season so Sommer is presumably his replacement for then and then maybe number 2 maybe competition we'll see how that goes uh, but great signing for Bayern just uh, 8 million euros they've got the best players in the league once again uh gladbach they signed uh, jonas omlin uh, as his replacement from montpellier uh, also i think uh, around the same fee really so they basically lost summer for omlin didn't really make a huge profit so not a great situation for them but it is what it is uh let's see we've got some other transfers i think uh, rafael's got a couple and he's got some thoughts on the move generally more than just the players tell us about this one rafael yeah um As you said, I have some thoughts on uh, Dango Toro and Enzo Lefe going to Bournemouth. Um, I firstly just want to say this deal caught me, and I expect many off guard. Um, when I saw this reported from Fabrizio Romano, um, I was quite confused, but obviously going deeper into it, I look into this, and the new ownership model of Bournemouth um, have now partnered up with Lorient, making double deals like this. 
very possible. So I just wanted to um, get that out of the way. Um, in terms of Dango and Enzo, they both had incredible seasons for Lorient. The type of seasons that earn big money moves to leagues like the Premier League, probably not Bournemouth, but to bigger clubs like that. Um, no offence to Bournemouth fans. Um, for Bournemouth fans, um, they have a lot to be excited about. Um, Dango is a dynamic two-way winger with an eye for a shot. And he's an incredibly moldable winger. He's one of these modern wingers who can play across the front line, can give you everything that you'd want on and off the ball, that, that tenacity and, and whatnot. And then with Enzo, you've got a graceful midfielder on the ball, tenacious off it as well, and incredibly creative abundance. Like in his arsenal, this this guy is this guy is an exceptional creator player. Um, I was checking his numbers this morning. He ranks in the top 95 percentile um, on FBRIEF for shot creating actions. And he's doing that for a Lorient side that are mid-table in Ligue 1. So he's not even doing this for one of the better teams in the French League. So it just speaks to how good these two players are. Um, both players have the, the talent, the ability to single-handedly get Bournemouth out of a relegation battle, which they're seemingly going into. And if this Lorient and Bournemouth partnership um, is going to be fruitful in the long term, I mean, I think these two these two deals will be will be representative of of how that is. Um, but yeah, as the two moves are, they're not confirmed yet. They're not confirmed yet, but they're both of them deals are still kind of um, they're still yet to be done um, in terms of like medicals and whatnot. But I'm sure they will be confirmed very soon. And when they are, I think many football fans and and Bournemouth fans will be excited to see how these two play. In the Premier League, yeah, I, I really hope in the Premier League actually because <laughs> these two don't deserve to go down to the Championship. But uh, yeah, as you say, um, it's 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 the the Bournemouth owners, of course, took a minority stake in Lorient. Of course, uh, Lorient fans, by the way, are not happy with these deals as you might expect because to see uh, two of their best players go to while they are, as you said, just above mid table, maybe competing for Europe in Liga, uh, to see their best players go to a team battling relegation in the Premier League. Of course, their fans aren't happy at all about it. Uh, but I, I guess that that just sums up the state of uh, the elite football in terms of uh, the power dynamics in, in between leagues and and the Premier League's domination. Uh, but but yeah, we've we've also got another uh, move that you'd like to speak to uh, speak about, Rafael. Uh, that's Memphis Depay to Atleti, Atletico Madrid. Quite interesting stuff here as well. What what have you got? Yes, um, very interesting. Um, there was a video flowing around. Obviously, you and Ben um, didn't, didn't take notice to it, but I did, um, of Memphis actually training with Aleti yesterday. Um, yeah, very interesting in, in general with um, this move. Obviously, uh, Memphis has gone to Aleti for 3.5 million euros. Um, he signed on to 2025. He seems like a direct replacement for Jao Felix, who's went to Chelsea. Um, I don't think he's a replacement in the long term, but more of kind of just an option for Diego Simeone. Um, it's interesting that um, Memphis was being touted to the Premier League. He was being touted to Newcastle and Manchester United for 30 million euros. And then he's ended up signing for Alexico Madrid for 3.5, which says a lot about um, the, the Spanish big three, if, you, if, you, if, if I say it. Um, 
But yeah, we know about Memphis's quality. He's obviously been been halted with so many injuries in his in his Barcelona in his brief, very brief Barcelona um tenure. And going to Atletico Madrid, I, I expect him to link up well with um Antoine Griezmann. I expect him to link up well with Alvaro Morata. He's a very talented player. He's a very flexible player. And when he's on it, and when he's when he's in a system that he believes in, he can give you incredible performances, game-changing performances, season-changing performances. And I expect Atletico Madrid will expect that from Memphis Depay. Yeah, uh, as you say, very interesting transfer. Uh, and interesting, uh, interested to see how that goes. But let's move over to uh, some of the the non-top five leagues. Uh, Ben's got a couple of transfers from uh, Scandinavia. What have you got, Ben? Yes, we got a, a couple moves into the Danish uh, Superliga. Um, so first we have Nicholas Hellenius. Uh, this will be back to, to Alborg, his third stint at the club. Uh, he's a, a really tall striker um, who's been in, I think, a, a four or five clubs within the Superliga throughout his career. T- scores goals where he goes. He's not like a 20-goal uh, a season person. He's he's more of like that, that 10 or so, uh, really big guy, a focal point. Um, really, really fun to watch. I think he's, he's six, five. Um, and he really stands out and is, and is really just, he's a lot more technical sometimes than you might think, but, um, he should really help Alborg. I know they're, they're pretty low on the table. Um, I don't know if they're in relegation danger. Uh, they're currently 11th of 12th. They have 14 points and in, in Lungbu, uh, are currently bottom and eighth. Uh, this is obviously before the split for the Superliga. Um, and, and so they'll, I'm not sure if they're going to necessarily be in huge relegation danger um, necessarily, because I think they have enough about them to come back up, especially with him coming back and score some more goals. Uh, but it should be an interesting move to, to follow. Um, another one that we have uh, moving to Horsens is young uh, Swedish goalkeeper Samuel Brolin. So he moves on loan from IEK, uh, one of the, the main Swedish clubs. This is, he's been loaned. This will be his one, two, three, his fourth loan now um, over, I think, five years from IEK. So he's the, the Swedish youth uh, national team keeper, essentially. Uh, he's also big. He is 6'9", but he does not play like it. He plays like he's closer to six foot. I mean, he can get down very quickly. His reactions are very strong. Um, he is certainly one for the future. I think he, he's really got enough about him to, to, to be Sweden's goalkeeper. Um but yeah, he's going on loan again. So he was on loan in 2019 to Vasas Loons, uh, essentially in the, the third tier in Eton, and then to Acropolis in 2020 in the Super Eton, and then moved up again to the Allsvenskan. He went on a two-year loan to Mjalby. Uh, I think he did pretty well there. Pretty much every season, he's uh, saved more goals than, than expected, essentially, based on post-shot expected goals. So he's a really good keeper who is... Got a lot of work still to do uh, in, in terms of uh, the biggest thing for me is when when he's able to get down quickly, a lot of the rebounds that will go out a little bit further. If a striker's coming, they can easily score that rebound off of him. So that's just one major thing I noticed from him. But I think because because Horsens are doing pretty well right now. So they're ninth. Uh, they have 22 points. And, and we're going to talk about uh, Brumby in just a second uh, with one of their chances. But they're, they're currently ninth with 22 points. But just three points above them is 25 points, and that would put them above Silkeberg in fourth place. So they the the a, outside of the top two teams of North Zealand and Viborg, uh, it's so competitive in Super League at this season. So I think he could really do well. I know that um Horson's main goalkeeper has been out uh with a thigh injury for a little bit. So I think he's come in to replace him in the short term. I think he's got enough about him as a keeper to replace him in the long term. I know there's a um an option to buy him permanently 
that I would be, unless something crazy happens, I, I'd be shocked if they don't take that up because the IAK fans seem livid for him to go out on loan again, especially this time with uh, an option to make it permanent because he's one of their up-and-coming talents. Yeah, very interesting move that. And as you say, things are really tight in the Superliga, which we'll, of course, cover uh, more in detail when it's restarting closer to mid-February. But I, I just want to say, uh, streets will never forget Silkeberg's front three from last season. Uh, no, uh, they won't. <laughs> the Valis, Jorgensen, and Hellenius. Now, of course, two of them are gone. Uh, but yeah. It was fun while it lasted. Uh, well, let, let's quickly go over some uh, other transfers. You alluded to Brunby Ben. Just wanted to mention uh, Hakan uh, Evian moving uh, to Brunby from AZ. Uh, he's, he's a really exciting uh, young talent. Uh, I think just 1.6 million uh, is, is the fee I've heard. So uh, f- fairly uh, cheap for a, play- a player of uh, his potential. Uh, he's now, of course, 22 years old, a Norwegian. He started off at uh, Berder Glimt, uh, moved to AZ in 2020. Hasn't really developed as, as well as you'd have liked because, of course, the Scandinavia to, uh, you know, Netherlands, Belgium, and then to a big five league pathway is probably what he would have been aiming for. But, but it's not it's not worked out and he's, you know, sort of taking a step back again, coming to Brunby. But he, he he'll, they'll, ex- they'll probably expect him to step up and deliver immediately because... They are having a really poor campaign. They're down in 10th uh, place, uh, which, of course, would leave them really close to the relegation zone uh, when the league split. They, they do have a decent gap in terms of points uh, to AAB Alborg, who are uh, uh, 11th. So there's a seven-point gap there. And if you go seven points above Brunby, you move up all the way to third, even above Copenhagen. So uh, as, I, as I said, it's really tight in the Superliga and every point will matter before the split. And players like Evian uh, can can make that difference uh, for sometimes. Well, let's see a couple of other moves I want to mention. Uh, Danilo to Nottingham Forest uh, for uh, 20 million euros from uh, Palmeiras, where he'll, he'll link up with uh, Gustavo Scarpa, uh, his former teammate at Palmeiras. Uh, yeah, I'd say Danilo is one, has been one of the biggest talents uh, in the Brazilian league last season. I believe was it last summer when he even had links to Manchester United, maybe. So, but but basically, definitely a, a top top class player. He was also linked to Arsenal as well. Arsenal, Arsenal as well. Heavily. Ah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that says it all about how, how good he can be. Uh, so uh, excited to see how he goes. Of course, first job will be to try and keep uh, Forest up. Uh, uh, they've they've also signed uh, Chris Wood. I think that's just been confirmed now. So. Just like to mention that Chris Wood uh, is it on loan? I think. It, um, it... Yeah, it's on loan for the rest of the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, well, big man up front, as Ben says. Uh, let's see. Big let's strikers see. moving this window. That's that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's only the team. And oh, I should say Wood to Forest. I mean, you you can't top that. Uh, <laughs> what else do we have? Uh, oh yes, we've got an, a nice move in Mexico. Uh, Nicolas Ibanez has moved uh, from Pachuca to uh, Tigres. Of course, we mentioned uh, Tigres on Monday uh, as, as they're uh, probably looking set to uh, set up like a, tit- a proper title charge. Uh, and Ibanez is, is an excellent player uh, to, to help them with that. Uh, he, he, he was uh, playing for uh, Pachuca, I believe, uh, on loan uh, f- from, was it uh, Atleti? Atletico Madrid, uh, but he 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 spent basically the last season uh, at Pachuca, uh, and he 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 did great. He he's got uh, 
digits. He was in double digits for uh, goal involvements in, in the apertura of this season. And yeah, he's a, he's a top class player, as I said. Uh, of course, 28 years old, so I, I don't really expect him to move on to Europe if uh, anyone's listening from a European fan's point of view. But certainly within Mexico, he, he has uh, the potential to be a key player uh, in a title-winning team, potentially. But of course, a long way to go there. Uh, finally, I'd just like to mention uh, contract one contract extension for uh, Caroline Graham Hansen uh, at Barcelona. Uh, of course, she's, uh, I believe, out. she's been out injured for a bit, but she's uh, recovering and close to, close to being match fit again. So, of course, really excited to see her back on the pitch. And yeah, just a, a, a great deal for Barcelona because she's a, a top, top right winger. Uh, really fun to watch. Probably one of the most fun right wingers to watch, at least for me. So, yeah, a, a great signing for them. Uh, but I think I think that's about it uh, for what we've got in terms of transfers. Uh, just want to mention uh, a couple of other things uh, in terms of matches to look forward to uh, over the weekend. We've got leagues restarting in Chile, uh, Peru, and of course the Romanian Super League, which we mentioned. Uh, got the round of 32 in the Coupe de France. Uh, in England, we've got Arsenal versus Manchester United, which is another big game. Uh, a, a couple of news bits, <laughs> some great stuff in Serie A uh, in midweek where Salernitana uh, sacked Davide Nicola. And then he basically said that he called the president and <laughs> pleaded with him to take him back in. So within two days, he, he replaced himself effectively. Uh, I, well, I, I hope he got a good new contract at least, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, over, over in the championship, uh, Blackburn sacked Michael Appleton and replaced him with uh, Mick McCarthy. And, and we've also got uh, the Scottish Cup all, as well this uh, weekend where Ben has found a really exciting game. or uh, Well, an interesting game, certainly. Uh, what have you got, Ben? Yeah, so so I found out that... Um, so essentially we have uh, University of Sterling FC is playing uh, top flight side Dundee United, a football club for university students at the University of Sterling. Um, so it's for current students uh, based on scholarship, it sounds like. Um, and they are in the, I believe, the, the fifth tier. They're in the Lowland Leagues uh, of Scotland. So the, they will have a fifth tier versus a first tier game. Dundee United, um, right now, they are in 10th on 20 points. So they're in a group with the the, the, the bottom four teams, essentially. Uh, but they're still uh, fully professional versus a team of not just amateurs, but student amateurs. So it should be a really fun game. Um, I'm going to see if I can watch that because that that's very unique. I haven't personally seen uh, a team at a university outside of in the U.S. where we have NCAA. Haven't seen a team in uh, uh, Europe specifically be a university team playing a top division side. That that that's going to be a lot of fun. A great event. Uh, good luck to to them. I really hope that, that they can win because uh, that would be such a story. Uh, I think it already is to make it to the fourth round already. The fourth round. Um, so it should be a really, really fun match to follow. Yep. Uh, as, as you can see, lots of interesting action over the weekend. Uh, we'll, of course, all be watching along. And then, uh, as ever, we'll be back on Monday to, to recap the, the big results, the big stories, uh, and all the action, basically. Uh, but until then, uh, that's about it from us. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, uh, Ben and Rafael, for your time. Thanks to Alex as well for his contribution, of course to Doc for the chat we had earlier. And of course, thanks to you for listening uh, and see you on Monday. Until then, uh, enjoy the football. Bye.